Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. On today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by one of England's favourite players of the late 1980s and 1990s, a fast bowler who famously took 9 for 57 against South Africa at the Oval in 1994. Welcome to the paddock and the pavilion, Devon Malcolm. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Not too bad at all. Life is good. Well, it's been good to track you down, and thanks to Jeff Miller to uh, putting me in contact with you. Jeff, who came on the show a few weeks ago. Oh, was he now? Okay. Yeah. Now, you always get asked about your 9 for 57, but I wanted to start by talking about your batting. I went on YouTube last night, and there were some fantastic <laughs> clips of, of your, your two sixes against Shane Warne, and also... I thought the best one was when you hit Glenn McGrath for three fours. Glenn, Glenn wasn't happy. Not at all. I mean, tell you what, I mean, a lot of people make fun of my batting. Yes, my batting at the best of time was comical, but I, I will tell you this. I, uh, I work very hard to get in my, my batting average all the way up to 6.25, mate, so don't take the mickey. But what, what, what normally happened as a number 11, so when I played, it's not like now where, you know, um, Guys uh, are, uh, have their batting practice and all that business at number 11, and you have quite a bit of chance practicing. At number 11, I normally get out there, try to entertain the crowd, hit sixes, hit fours, get my shoulder warm up, ready to bowl. Yeah, but, um, you know, you talk about the great, the great Shane Warne, fantastic bowler. And, um, you know, if you ask Shane Warne, he said, I possibly hit him for a couple of the biggest sixes. Uh, I remember playing uh, uh, um, probably 94 at Adelaide and actually hit him out the park. I mean, <laughs> you can't hit people out the park in Australia. The pitches are slip, the grounds are so large. But at Adelaide, I remember putting him in the bushes in Adelaide. You know, <laughs> all the guys will say they've never seen a ball hit that far. But when I do connect, uh, it, goes for, it, go, it, it goes a long way, you know. And, um, yeah, I do, I do enjoy my batting. I do enjoy um, hitting the ball. 
But as I said, I'm not going to hang around him <laughs> for a very long time because I play, I'm too attacking. I play too many shots. And you also mentioned about uh, um, Glenn McGrath. Fantastic bowlers. And, you know, he said to Club Cricket, I said, these guys are absolutely fantastic. Managed to hit Glenn for, uh, you know, <laughs> a few fours. Couple probably off the edges. But I, I particularly remember as well a game we played against the great um, West Indies way back in the early 90s, playing against Ambrose. And Ambrose ran in. And he absolutely clean bowled me. And I went on to pick the stump up. Nobody heard. Nailed his stump back in. Ambrose proceeded to bowl. And the next two balls are cream him through the covers for four. He wasn't happy. He said, Dev, I will never, ever pitch a ball up to you again. But no, I did. Um, I, I do enjoy my batting, to be honest. Yeah. Well, well, I thought I'd bring that up because before you played your test debut at Trent Bridge, uh, the game before was your highest ever first-class score. You got 51 against Surrey. And oh, right. I, won- I wondered whether England had picked you for your batting for that <laughs> W test against Australia. Against Australia, yeah. As I said, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, England were kind of struggling then. And um, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, probably, when you, you talk about that, I remember that vividly, actually. It was against Surrey at Derby. At and, Derby, um, that's right, yeah. At Derby. So... I could say that was almost like a, 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 a how you see they play 2020 cricket now because, um, you know, I remember Ian Bishop were batting at the other end and I walked out and I said, Bish, I'm going for the final point. We need to get 300 to get the maximum batting points. And Bish were just laughing. And I tell you, my 50, I've made 51, was it? I probably have 17 balls. <laughs> it was just sixes and fours. I mean, poor Bish couldn't stand up. He was just laughing. He said, boy, you can smack the ball when it hits the bat. So, yeah, I mean, I remember the old grandstand at Derby and I actually hit a uh, couple over the grandstand, you know. So, yeah, well, when it connects, mate, it does stay hit. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And uh, I went on actually to make a sec- another 50, another 50 against um, Somerset a few years later at Taunton, you know. So I had a couple of first-class 50s, but when guys see me batting on TV, playing against the great, against the great like, you know, Donald, Wazim Akram or Waka Yunis, Ambrose, you know, Walsh. I mean, those guys are serious bowlers. So they make any batsman look a fool, let alone poor Devon Malcolm. So when I do get the chance to connect one, you know, I do, do stay in the memory bank, to be honest. Yeah. Well, in those days, you gave us plenty of entertainment to, with, with the bat. But going forward then to this first test match you played, actually, I was there. Um, against the Australians at Trent Bridge. Oh. England, England were 3-0 down in the series. It was quite a, um, an eventful first day for England, wasn't it? It certainly was. You know, you say, you're coming from county cricket, uh, again, playing uh, 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 at Derby with my schoolboy hero, Michael Holden, and, you know, always, you know, giving you tips as a fastballer, what you expect, or uh, what the captain expected of your of a fastballer. You need to strike within the first three overs. You need to let the new ball talk. You need to take wickets earlier on. And, you know, I thought I was on target there, actually. <laughs> uh, my third my third over, I believe it was, I had Marsh, I can remember, absolutely plumb in front, you know. And um, I remember the, uh, watching the highlights at night and the, and the commentator said, OK, that would have definitely missed um, off stump. He probably definitely would have missed leg stump also, but what I missed that would have made of middle stump. So, you know, Marsh didn't move. I dropped him right in front. And I remember 
Um, the umpire, was it Nigel Cruz, it was, and he just didn't give him out. So I keep saying, well, if that's not out, I said, um, I don't know what's going to be. I said, oh, cricket, uh, getting LBs in test cricket are probably so much more difficult. And you know what, as you said, you know, walking off off the pitch at the end of the first day, a trend 301 for no wicket. Look back at the scoreboard, and it's 301 without loss. What a debut that is. I mean, how can you forget that? I mean, one of my proudest moments, you know, making my debut for England, absolutely fantastic. But walking off Australia 301 without loss, it was embarrassing. <laughs> Very embarrassing, to be honest. But, you know, I went on. I reckon on my third, my th- the third new ball, I managed to get my first wicket in test, in test cricket. I got Steve War, the great Steve War out. So that was, you know, a kind of a plus because um, during the series, I don't believe anybody got Steve War out, you know, leading up to then. Um, I, uh, I got him out. It was caught Gower Ball Malcolm. That's one of my first test wickets. So, you know, but yeah, what an what a introduction to international cricket that was. Boy, <laughs> how can you forget that? Yeah. Now your fig- figures of 44 overs, two maidens, one for 166. <laughs> don't remind me. So if you, if you, you don't remind me of that. Um, I mean, up to then, up to recently, uh, probably that probably was the worst debut figures for England. You, you believe that until the spin bowler for England went to Australia and he probably, who was he at then? I forget his name actually, but probably, I'm probably second on the list of the worst debut figures actually. <laughs> the spin bowler who, um, who probably went for a little bit more than me. But, um, yeah, I had quite a few chances, though, I must admit. <laughs> As I said, the first I could have had a wicket earlier on. And, you know, in cricket, test cricket, whatever cricket it is, that's, you know, because as you knew, as you know, when I made my debut, um, you know, a lot of young players were thrown in the side. Myself, there was Angus Fraser, um, uh, Michael Atherton, there was uh, also um, Martin Moxon, Tim Curtis, you know, being thrown in the team. So, you need a little bit of confidence. And, you know, it could have been so, so much different, you know, if I'd had that LB earlier on, if I'd had Marsh from LB, next I'll be in my stride. But all of a sudden you're thinking different things. Okay, well, how am I going to get these batters out if that's not out? And you start bowling a little bit wider, bowling for the edges. And these batters were confident. As you said, they were 3-0 up at the stage. But, you know, it's one of those things. But, yeah, yeah it wasn't, wasn't nice. <laughs> Well, I'd like to take you back to your, your very beginnings of cricket, just to to start your cricket career. You were born in uh, Kingston, Jamaica in February 1963. What do you remember about growing up in Jamaica and, and playing cricket in the Caribbean? Well, not so much cricket. Absolutely love cricket, yeah. Um, but uh, um, growing up in the Caribbean, being brought up in the Caribbean, um, it doesn't care what sport Anything is going. Look, if it's a game of marble, you got to compete. So it doesn't matter. With football, I used to absolutely love football. Athletics, I was good at athletics. I could run really well. I mean, it doesn't care what's going. <laughs> you know, everything is so competitive. You have to participate in more sports. For, for a start at school, you know, um, primary school, whatever, you have your different houses. So you got to do athletics. So you got to run. You got to do long jump. You got to do high jump. And cricket was my love. <laughs> you know, I did, you know, football also, but cricket was the thing, you know, um, when I was at, 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 at um, a primary school on a Friday, it's normal. You get in, you got to make sure you get your work done early in the morning. If everything is right, you get the afternoon to play cricket. And boy, <laughs> I'm always 
on my best behavior, everything is right on a Friday, so we can get the afternoon off to play cricket. And, you know, you will drug all your teammates, or well, classmates, boys, girls, whatever, just come and have a game of cricket. And, you know, then, say in Jamaica, growing up, you know, cricket balls and stuff like that. Yes, you get, you've got cricket balls, you've got the bats and all that business where the bigger boys use. But, you know, as youngsters, you make your own bats and you you improvise, you you know, find different things to make as, as, as cricket balls and whatever. But it was great, you know, you just enjoy sport. You know, it does, as I said, it doesn't care what it is. And, um, yes, we have some good, you know, grounding. As, as, as you can imagine as well, the West Indies was um, fantastic at cricket. I normally listen to the radio, listen to cricket. I uh, didn't even know what Michael Holden looks like, but I heard he was a you know, great fast bowler running from the boundary, bowling the speed of light. And, um, you know, as a youngster, that's what I did. <laughs> you know, I just I normally run in faster than I bowl, but I normally have a long run in trying to imitate in my head what the commentators say on the radio because the commentators on the radio normally paint such a brilliant picture of cricket. So I have that love from cricket from listening to the radio, you know, listening, uh, you know, Michael Holden running in, Michael Holden bowling to Jeff Boycott, you know, Barbados, all that business. And those pictures, the pictures are built in my mind. As I said, it wasn't TV pictures, but the pictures are built in my mind was even greater. You know, so I absolutely, you know, loved fast bowling. Well, you, you, moved, know, to, you moved to Sheffield in, in, in 1979. What were your first impressions when you came to England? Cold weather, I guess. Yeah, it was cold, but my dad, bless him, God rest his soul, um, I lost him um, during the first pandemic. Uh, um, he was in a care home. So, I'm sorry. Um, he, he was on the first one to go. You know, the, the, um, the COVID-19 took him. <laughs> We're no real fault of his, you know, because I thought everything was secure there. But bless him, as I said, he managed to, he got me here in March because his plan was, because when he came here way back in the 60s, <laughs> he came at the wrong time. So he said, if you get us, if you get me here in March, it will be, you know, spring and it's going to get warmer. But even so, when I arrived in March, it was cold. <laughs> it was freezing <laughs> because, you know, before, um, say, even when I, was in, when I was in Jamaica, before I, um, I came up, I was told, look, England is very cold. So I normally opened the fridge, put my hand in the fridge, not the freezer. And I said, oh, how cold the fridge was. They said, no, 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 no. As cold as the freezer, that's what this is like in England. You know, so I was dreading the cold. But arriving in England, you know, I just saw a little bit of snow on the ground and all that business. And man, it was cold. <laughs> it was freezing. And, you know, the building types and all that business was rather, looked rather different. So way back um, then in the 70s, 79, whatever. You know, you, the houses, you see, they, it's not like now where you have small place sewer. Like in Sheffield, industrial city, you know, the smoke bellowing from the chimneys and stuff like that. And I keep saying, wow, I didn't realize. I said, these places are full of bakeries. I thought it was just bakeries all over the place, but there were actual houses. And these, um, you know, steel buildings and, you know, smokes and all that business coming out. So it was, it was different, different from the clear, you know, um, blue skies and all that business. You, you, you grew up as a youngster in Jamaica and see. But, yeah, it was quite an introduction. But, you know... Um, um, my neighbours and the boys on the street were fantastic, you know. Went out and, um, you know, took us all play a lot of football, you know, when I first arrived because all the kids on the street, they loved football and that's all they did. So I didn't play cricket for a long while, for a few years anyway. Right, because looking at your sort of 
cricketing background. Uh, you perhaps obviously did play before then, but you sort of came to to attention when you got Geoffrey Boycott out in 1984 playing for the Yorkshire League. Yes, as I said, when I arrived, I said I arrived as a student not to play cricket, you know. Um, um, so I was, at, uh, I was at college in Sheffield. My college didn't have a, they have a cricket field, but no, none of the students from the college play were just the village played. And eventually, I, uh, I played for the local team, Sheffield Caribbean. And they, you know, they've got a club we were, we didn't have a, 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 a probably a home ground then. We normally um, use one of the grounds from a, a school close by. And I played for Sheffield Caribbean. And from there, I moved on. Sheffield United Cricket Club spotted me and they wanted me. So I went to Sheffield United and just put this pushy story on a bit. In 1984, I was selected for the Yorkshire League. Um, the Yorkshire League Select 11 versus Yorkshire County Cricket Club. But every year, you see, the, um, Yorkshire normally play Yorkshire League uh, um, Select 11 in a preseason game. The Yorkshire League then was very good because in the league, guys like Jeff Boycott, you know, if you have an injury or anything like that, he normally turn up and play in the Yorkshire League to get back to fitness and all that. But push the story on a bit. I was selected playing in a, a place called Castleford in Yorkshire. Um, I was at college, as I said. I actually nicked the Friday of college. Would you believe it? My dad didn't even know I was going to play against the countryside because, as I said, you know, I played a bit of cricket. He didn't realise how good I was or potential, or potentially how, you know, a good a cricketer I could be anyway. So I actually just nicked the Friday off college <laughs> and went to uh, Castleford to play against Yorkshire. And... Um, as it happens, run up in my first over, I believe it was, I mentioned Martin Moxon, who we actually made our test debut together against Australia in 89. And um, Martin Moxon, a clean ball, Martin Moxon with a, a Yorker. And I reckon the following over, the same fate happened to Mr. Boycott, a clean ball him as well. He's back in March, that is. You know, a youngster, nobody hit Jeff Boycott's stump. Nobody get Jeff Boycott's out, let alone clean ball Jeff Boycott for pace in March. So, you know, and his bat was halfway down when, you know, his thumb was rocked back. And as I went on, we won the game. So probably if you look in the history, probably that's the only time the League 11 ever beat Yorkshire in a preseason game. And um, I, got, I had a write-up in the papers, actually, the Saturday, because, you know, and the headlines in the Yorkshire Post was Yorks being Devon creamed, you know. <laughs> and your dad and found out me. you weren't at college then as well. <laughs> no, my dad realized I missed the nick the day of college. So the coach, Phil Rust, I remember, was the coach at Derbyshire. So he came down, we were practicing the weekend at Baltry Road. And he came down and said, Are you the guy who clean board boycott? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, Tell you what, come to Derby on Monday for a trial. You know? I mean, then I tell you what, <laughs> Phil, you know, the county championship, all he wanted to do, his main aim in life was just beat Yorkshire. He don't care if he lose every game in the season, but losing to Yorkshire, it wasn't the option. He was one of those things. Anything, do anything. So he said, ah, boycott is always the, 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 you know, the solid rock in Yorkshire almost. So he said, pop to Derby on the Monday for a trial. And I said, ah, I don't believe that can happen, sir. <laughs> I said, already Nick Friday of college. So um, I've got to be at college on, on the Monday. He said, tell you what, just jump on the train, come to Derby, and come for a trial. So I contemplated, got to Derby on the Monday anyway, 
in the net ball pretty quickly the speed of light I feel in my head and um, Kim Barnett and uh, and um, Phil Russell they offered me a contract they said you've got a God-given talent you can bowl quicker than anybody I've seen at your age I said it's obvious you just like the game and just play you said them um, I believe when you know where <laughs> you you want to pitch four balls you possibly go on to play international cricket I keep saying what? I said, I just do this game for fun. I love cricket. So when they offered me a contract, said they're going to pay me. I said, don't be silly. You can't pay me to play cricket. I play for nothing. It's a game I love. And he said, it's a professional club. You have to be paid. So I said, okay. He said, just go back, talk to your dad. I said, well, I'll, we'll find some time to tell him. And um, come back. So they offered me a one-year a one year contract. And the rest is history, really. But the whole moral of the story, though, if you come across Jeff Boycott and you mentioned my name, he probably said, ah, if it wasn't for his wicket, nobody would know me. But that's, <laughs> the type, that's the type of bloke Jeff is. I love Boycott to bits, but to be honest, you know, talk about talent. You have to have a bit of luck as well. And I was at the right place at the right time. And look, I probably, if I could, if I'd gone on and probably take five wickets or six wickets in that game, probably unlikely, I probably wouldn't get the, the headlines I had, but getting boycott, I must admit, propelled me, you know. Um, such a great batsman boycott was then. So, I mean, Jeff Boycott, to a certain extent, he's got uh, uh, what he's saying is absolutely true. Because, you know, if I didn't get boycott, as I said, I got Moxon. He didn't mention about Moxon, you know. Boycott was the man. Get boycott, got my headlines in the paper for that. And two days later, I was a pro. You know, so um, okay. absolutely fantastic. So that's the type of cricket. Did, so, did, I mean, I love boys. I love boys. It's fantastic. And did you ever go back to college? Yes, yes, yes. I went back to college. Yeah, yeah. I went back to college and um, in between the cricket. But as soon as um, <laughs> I came back to college and I've been to Derby, next I went to, um, I was at Richmond College. Next I went to Derby, I went to um, Derby College of, 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 of Higher Education. No, no, it's the Derby University. So I continue studying, you know, during the winter months next up, start making the England side and, you know, but, you know, I went on to, uh, um, to, 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 to study. And in the end, um, you know, <laughs> once I got, went on and played quite a few um, more games, I actually had a, a honorary degree from, from Derby University as well, actually, because that's where I went to. Um, no university, I must admit, when I went there, it wasn't the university then. The status was a, a college of, of um, higher education, yeah. So because I said I went to Richmond College of Further Education, next um, um, Derby College, yeah. So Any, anyway, you, you said you you went you got this contract for Derbyshire, and it, it couldn't have been very long then before because in May '84 you made your debut against Surrey. Against Surrey, yes, that's right. What what did it feel like playing? Oh, actually, I've got to mention him now because. Again, because of um, him introducing me to you, but in your debut match, Jeff Miller got a five for as well. Did he? All right, yeah. five wickets. Yeah. And what did it feel like playing yeah. with, with with Jeff, Bob Taylor, John Hampshire in in a yeah. for Derbyshire? I know it was amazing. And um, you mentioned, thanks for remember reminding me. I mean, John Hampshire took me like a son, to be honest, because John Hampshire was living in Sheffield. And, you know, John Hampshire lived, used to live in Todwick, not very far away. And as I said, as a young set just finished, I was still at college, really. How am I going to get to Derby? So, um, you know, uh, as I said, uh, John Hampshire 
you normally said, okay, Dev, I mean, the bus service in Sheffield was absolutely fantastic in the 80s. So I normally get up, jump on the bus from Sheffield, drove all the way to Todwick, and the bus just parked, the bus stop was right outside John Hampshire's house. So there, in John Hampshire's house, and said, take me to cricket, or to Derby, back there, jump on the bus back to Sheffield. So he was my, he was like my dad. He was, <laughs> when you talk about your dad being, or you, as a as father, you rush, you run your kids around. That's what. So John, John looked after me for the first year, really, regarding run me around, take me to cricket and going to practice at Abbeydale or whatever, because it was close to Sheffield. Sometimes we just practice in, in Abbeydale Park. Um, that's Joe Root's club at the moment. Um, um, and all that business. And, and Jeff Miller also was instrumental, you know, um, because I, I remember a guy who used to play at, um, who played for Derbyshire way back probably in the, in the, 70s, 80s, and the Tashka, um, because he used to play in the, in the Yorkshire League, and he normally mentioned himself to um, Jeff Miller that there's a tear away fastball in the leagues. <laughs> you understand? And, you know, I also remember turning up for my first game because, you know, as a club cricketer at college, turning up at Derby after I had my, my um, I had to drop this actually, had my, um, my, my uh, uh, trials and given a contract. And for my first game, Jeff Miller, I remember actually, he had a sports shop, Muscle Miller Sport, and he turned up with a cricket bag because I had nothing, you understand? And there was a helmet in there. Um, uh, it was there a bat. It could have been, I don't know if he gave me a bat, that would be pointless anyway. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> there's a bat, there's a bat in there, there were pads, the whole work. And all of a sudden, I felt like a, a, a professional cricket. And I said, what a lovely man. Thank you very much, sir. I said to Jeff and all that business, and you know, I said, no problem. I'll be taking fifty quid a month, fifty quid a month. <laughs> it's the most expensive helmet I've ever bought in my life. <laughs> Way back then, but it was good. But all of a sudden, I had my kit bag. He said, no, no, you're a professional. No, you can't go borrowing stuff. You got to have your own bag. So, you know, um, he got me my first bag of kit, um, a cricket stuff, not for free. But it was fantastic. I felt like a pro. I have all my stuff, all my boots. And, and it made sure it kitted me out with the real proper stuff. You know, all my arm guards, it all worked. I'm meeting guys like Bob Taylor. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable, you know. These are guys you see on TV. And as I said earlier on as well, I, was, I could walk quickly, but I was wild. But I've never, ever seen a guy, Bob Taylor, you know, both on the left side. And most of the wicket keeper wouldn't even get close to it. And Bob Taylor was there. Just catching the ball. You really dived. Okay, generally, you have to dive when one went a bit further. But I don't believe Bob let a buy off me. <laughs> you know, he went a hell of a long game for even practice game. Unbelievable. I keep saying, wow, you saw him on TV, but just to have Bob keep to you in the main, man, it was just unbelievable. Next, you realize, ah, that's what first-class cricket is about. And if you want to play international cricket, it's a massive different step. So it was great to meet guys like that. And as you said, I made my debut uh, again, sorry, I reckon my first wicket. Who was it? Graham Clinton? I can't Jack remember. Richards. Jack Richards. It was, was Jack Richards. Richards. Jack Richards. Yep. Jack. I got Jack Richards out of my first first class wicket. I mean, you believe that? I went on from that one when I first started. If anybody told me, said, "Look, Dev, you know what? When you finish, you're gonna take over a thousand first class wickets," I would say, "Man, you must be crazy," <laughs> because I was I could bowl quickly but wild. But you know, I started late, so as fast bowling go. I kept really, really fit and ended up with over a thousand first class wickets. And as I keep saying, you look on a lot of players I played with over the years, 
I know none of those guys get anywhere close to the figures, the number of figures, uh, uh, when it comes to when it comes to wickets. You understand? So um, I reckon I've had an okay career. <laughs> well, that's just, uh, just started pretty late. Mm-hmm. I just want to uh, sort of take it on a bit because in uh, with your wickets tally in, in 1988, you got fifty six wickets, first class wickets. Nineteen eighty nine, you got forty seven, and then we're now going to talk about your Test career. Now we've talked about your your debut, but I wanted to focus yeah. on some of your highlights of your Test career. I mean, you say you got one hundred and twenty eight wickets in forty matches uh, and sixteen mm-hmm. wickets in ten ODIs. But wanted to, to talk about your debut match in Kingston, Jamaica. What did okay. it feel like going home and playing against the West Indies in a, in a wow. match that everything happened for you in that match as well? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you something. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned earlier on my debut. So when I've had a debut like I had against Australia, um, I'll be lying if I said, look, I went to the Caribbean playing against the legends of, against the legend like uh, um, Greenwich Haynes. Richard, Richard Richardson and all those guys, I would be lying if I said, look, I was full of confidence because a debut like I had wasn't like that. But I will tell you now, the confidence came from, you know, when we finished that series, before we went to the Caribbean, Graham Booth took over from, um, I have to put this in, I have to tell you this, took over from uh, 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 David Gower's captain. And he had this philosophy, look, the West Indian cricketers, they're better than us. They're more experienced than us. The only way we're going to get close to those guys is preparation and fitness. And Graham Gooch put this program out, these different camps all over the place. And, you know, after that first, that winter next training, I recognized, I realized that playing county cricket, I wasn't a pro, <laughs> really, because there was some serious preparation. I was physically fit, the running, the coaches and the what Brian and, and Mickey Stewart brought in was unbelievable. And I didn't realize what I heard was prior to that tour in 89-90 to the Caribbean, that's the first telecast series anyway, um, Sky um, telecast the series over. Guys normally just turn up, do whatever they want to do on a plane, and you get prepared for the test series wherever you're going. But I left or most of us. I could say we all left the, uh, um, England to the Caribbean full of confidence with our fitness and feel, look, we probably could, are we, you know, we're qualified to go on the same field and put up a good fight against the West Indies. And I mentioned earlier on, again, you know, the launch of my first class career. You mentioned Jamaica. First time back to Jamaica since I left as a youngster representing England. And uh, I wasn't one of the the best fielders in the world. So I had to feel in the deep. I had a strong arm where I could get the ball in quickly. So I felt in, I feel I had to feel in the deep, finally the third man, that kind of that kind of area. And um the call were vociferous. They were very loud. They gave me a lot of stick. <laughs> they say some they say some things where if I wasn't strong enough and realized, look, Dave, you gotta hold your own here. Um <laughs> they could have easily broke me, really. I could have been easily broke. You understand? But I love the game of cricket, and but but what happened? You see, when I got Viv Richards out the first innings, when I got Viv Richards out LB, that was fantastic. But getting Viv Richards out, clean ball Viv Richards the second and the second innings, and all of a sudden, the crowd recognized, okay, this guys can bowl. They can bowl fast. They love fast bowling, 
and it was readapted. So there's not a problem at all, you know. But um, launching my test career, getting the Richards out and winning that first test match, I mean, Angus Fraser bowled well in that game. Alan Lamb um, um, batted uh, excellently, very well. Alex Stewart made his debut, Robin Smith. Um, batted well as well. And talk about Alan Lamb, I just heard he's, uh, he's going through a bit of a... Uh, um, uh, so I put out on Twitter yesterday, actually, that uh, he's been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And um, so I wish him all the best with his recovery. And all those men out there, you know, we should go out and have uh, and get checked. Don't be embarrassed about anything. And what he said, I'm, you know, practically repeating what Lamy said, because that's the same thing what happened to Bob Willis. Uh, we lost Bob Willis um, a couple of years ago because of prostate cancer. So, um, you know, just go and, you know, go and get the test, guys. You know, I've had mine. <laughs> and I've, you know, constantly do that. So don't, don't, don't be bashful. Don't be scared. You know, it's nothing serious. So get that blood test and, and have your PCR test. Uh, well, England, um, England won uh, the match. England won the match by nine wickets. And in, in, yes, the, so, in, the, in the series, you got 19 wickets in the series as well. In the series, yeah. As I said, I was confident, you know. I was given a role, you know. Dave, you're the quickest bowler. You got to strike. You strike. Angus Fraser got to hold one in. David Capel again. God rest his soul. David Capel, um, Gladstone Small and the other bowlers, they get a hold one in. But my job was to strike, was to take wickets. And especially in the first test match, was fantastic with Angus Fraser. I know I could go three, four and over. Angus going to go two. So we're not going to be losing the game. My job was, okay, Dave, you come on for a bowl. You're going to shake them up or you're going to take wickets. Angus will hold that in. And if Angus gets some wickets, that's fine. So we were a great partnership, myself and Angus, together. As I said, end up taking 19 wickets in the game, in the, in the series. Trinidad had my, one of my best test matches. Again, we should have won as well. I don't know where that rain came from. So from Trinidad, we should have been 2-0 up and we probably wouldn't have lost the series. But, you know, it's one of those things. But, yeah, um, launching my test career was with Richards. <laughs> launched my first-class career was a great um, boycott. And you keep saying, you don't care how good you are, how well you do, it's the guy you play against. Greater players than yourself, really, that will give you that platform. And I keep saying, they're absolutely legend, you know, a man I respect right down to his boots, really, you know, serious cricketer and um, very proud cricketer. And, um, you know, we had some great battles on the field, but we're still good friends, you know. We played the game tough on the field. And if you see Viv now, we still give a high five and we still have a beer together. And once you play this game in great spirit, mate, no problem. 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the line, if you can talk to each other and still have a beer, that's what it's all about. That's all for part one with Devon Malcolm. In part two, Devon talks about touring in Australia, his county cricket career, his thoughts on the ashes down under this winter, and of course, the full story of his nine for 57 against South Africa at the Oval back in 1994. The podcast will be available from Sunday, the 21st of November. I hope you enjoyed the first part and you'll be back for part two. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and The Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram at The Pad and Pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.